I'm going to be putting the verse up on the screen if you have, haven't got your Bible with you, but the words are very small. So I would always advise bring a Bible to church with you, whether that's paper or whether that's phone. Ooh, let's go back again. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. And in his teaching, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts, who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him, and he said, Truly I say to you, this widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray again now as we hear. Father, we thank you that this is no word of man that we hear today. This is the word of the Lord. This is the word that was penned, yes, by men, but also by the Holy Spirit. Lord, we pray as we come to hear it, that our hearts will be ready like well-tilled soil to hear what you're saying to us. And we pray, Lord God, that you would touch us afresh with your spirit. Deepen our knowledge of you, we pray. All that we learn from your word is supposed to be for worship. And so, Lord God, we pray that you would deepen our understanding so our praises would be lifted higher. Amen. Now, Jesus, we're told, tells the crowd to beware. Beware the scribes. Beware of the scribes. Or literally in the Greek, it says, watch. Watch for the scribes. Be on guard for the scribes. It's easy to see in the original language that he's not talking about all the scribes. He's not saying just because somebody bears the name scribe, beware. But actually, the way that the words are put together, it says, beware the scribes, those desiring to walk in long robes, those desiring the first seats in the synagogues, those who love the greetings in the marketplaces. It's that type of scribe that Christ says you must be on guard for, you must watch out for. Jesus went to trouble to identify the traits of a false teacher. He went to the trouble of describing characteristics for the crowd of a false teacher. Why would he do that? Why would he go and do that? You know, so many Christians these days will say things like, don't let people hear what you're against. Don't let people hear what you're negative about. Let them hear what you're for. Let them hear the positive. Let them hear the good. Don't let, hear, don't let the world hear Christians putting negative things out there. It's just going to discourage them. It's going to turn them away from Christ rather than turn them towards Christ. But here we've got Jesus outlining the characteristics of a false teacher. And so it's quite interesting to me that the New Testament and Christ in particular 
talks so much about false prophets and false teachers. And just the same in the letters from the apostles. A lot of what they talk about, the book of Jude, the book of 1 John, so much of it is about marking out the traits of false teachers. And yet you speak to many Christians these days and talk about these same things. And you see bums squeaking in seats. But this is something that Jesus did. And so therefore, there is no escape for me. I don't, I don't love talking about this kind of thing, but I have to because our Lord talked about it. And it's the same in every church. We're given the task of representing the word of Christ. We're given the task of reiterating the word of the apostles. And if they talked about these things, then we too must talk about them and must understand them. We're to warn of false teachers. This was part of his doctrine. In fact, in the Greek there, where it says, and in his teaching, it actually says, and in his doctrine. This was part of Christ's staple teaching. Part of his doctrine was to talk about false teachers and to identify characteristics so that, why? Why would he do that? So that the crowd would know what to look out for. It's like when we are raising children. If you're a teacher in a school, or if you were like me as a, as a youth worker, you would constantly have to remind, I would anyway, have to remind the teenagers what to do and what not to do, particularly what not to do. We used to play with them a game called Panna Football, which is basically two-on-two -two football in a metal cage. And I was trained to do it. It wasn't just kind of free-for-all cage fighting, but... You can imagine you've got a bunch of 15-year-old lads full up of hormones inside a metal cage, two-on-two, two, and you lock the door, all hell can break loose. So you constantly have to be like, right, no, 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 you're not allowed to grab onto the wall. No, you can't kick him there. No, you can't touch him there. No, you can't have four against two. You're constantly reminding them of the rules because if they forget them, things get messy really, really quick. And so this is something that Jesus did because he wanted the crowd to be able to identify the true teachers from the false. He understood if they didn't understand what false teachers looked like, they could come to harm. They could come to harm. And it's the same as when we were raising kids or when I was dealing with those teenagers. I knew the risk of injury was much higher if I just let them get on with it and never told them, stop it, don't do that. So Jesus has to talk occasionally to the negative in order that the people don't fall into ruin. Because he says, very pointedly in verse 40, they will receive, these teachers will receive the greater condemnation. They will receive the greater judgment. And so it's imperative for these people that they don't get sucked in by these false teachers because Jesus doesn't want them to receive the same fate. Now today what we're going to do is we're going to look at six points. Six points. We're going to look at three signs of false spirituality. These three signs are the three signs that Christ gives for a false teacher. So in a moment, we're going to look at those. But I also, I don't want you all to be sat there passively today just thinking this isn't about you. It's easy to do that. I also want us to be open and hopefully ask the Lord to challenge us on when he, whether any of these traits are in us. That's why I've called it three signs of false spirituality, not just 
three signs of a false teacher because I, I think, like we read earlier in the Heidelberg Catechism, all of us war against the flesh all the days of our life until we go to glory. And so there will be little elements of these traits that are in all of us. I know they're in me because I wrote this sermon and I wrote this and felt challenged. So I want you to do the same. And that's why I've titled it Three Points of False Spirituality. But I want you to also read them as three signs of a false teacher, okay? It's not that anybody who has these signs is definitely a false teacher, okay? We've got to be really careful not to just tire everyone with the same brush. But what I will say is that all false teachers have these traits. Does that make sense? Just having those traits doesn't necessarily mean that the person's false or they're a false teacher. But every false teacher has these traits. And every false Christian has these traits. And then we're going to look at three other traits. We're going to look at three signs of healthy spirituality. Three signs of a vital spirituality. Because did you notice in this passage the contrast that Mark gives us? Did you notice that? The first few verses are about these scribes. Beware of these scribes. What are the last few verses about? This widow. And we're meant to see the contrast. We're meant to draw comparisons between the two. That's what Mark wants us to do. So we're going to do that. We're going to take the rest of the time to look at three signs of a healthy spirituality. And again, I want for us to have our hearts open uh, to that. Not just to think about it abstractly. Not just to think about it as the widow, but to say, Lord, do, do I have these? Are these areas that you're working in in me? So let's look first to the negative, because that's where Christ begins. Three signs of a false spirituality. And we read about the scribes. What, what were we to beware of? What was negative about them, does Christ say? Well, he says they like to walk around in long robes. They like to walk around in long robes. They like greetings in the marketplaces. They have the best seats in the synagogues. They're, in fact, the Greek there is um, proto-cathedros, which means first seats. Okay, so these were the first seats. Those are the ones you saw when you came in. They were around the outside of the room and some of them at the front. They liked to be in the first seats and they liked the honor at feasts. They like to be honored at the corporate gatherings. And he also says that they make long prayers, long prayers for a pretense. How many of you have ever been held captive to a long prayer? Oh Lord. I remember a conference I was at not too long ago and uh, some many, many godly men, and this is not a condemnation because these men are much godlier than me, but um, you imagine you're in a room and this prayer meeting was a probably about 300 men. And the way that they would do it was each man would stand up and, and pray. And then when he was finished, they would sit down. You can see it was very traditional. It wasn't one of these charismatic meetings where it was one man stands and prays, the other wait, and he sits down. Another one stands up and prays. And um, one chap began to pray and didn't stop praying for around 20 minutes. And uh, I'm serious. It, was, it went on and on and on. And we were just impressed. I was timing it by the end. I was thinking, you know, there's a sweepstake going around the room. So we all know what it's like to pray long prayers. Now, I don't think this man was doing what the scribes were doing. Because Christ says, you notice he doesn't condemn long prayer. He's not saying long prayers are bad. Because we know that 
a Christian should be a praying person, shouldn't they? Every Christian should pray. It's, it's, as Spurgeon said, it's like oxygen. You know, asking a person whether they pray or not is like asking them whether they breathe. You know, as a Christian, we, we've got to pray. So it's not that long prayer is condemned, but it's the motivation behind the long prayer. These scribes were praying in order that they would get noticed. Uh, they were doing the right thing for the wrong reasons. Now, how many of you understand much of what Christ condemns in this false spirituality is actually doing the right things, but for the wrong reasons. So number one, the first sign of a false teacher or a false spirituality is that everything is for show. Everything's for show. The long flowing robes. Now, the scribes at the time, they had to wear robes. That was part of their dress. And in fact, in the corresponding passage in Matthew, it says more. It says not just about the long robes, but it says they made their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. Do you know what phylacteries are? The little boxes with the scriptures that they tied on their heads and they put it on their arm. And that's from the Old Testament where they're commanded to, to bind the commandments on their head and on their hands. Now, whether you take that symbolically or not, that's what the phylacteries were about. It was about showing that they had the, the law of God upon their minds and upon their hands. So theology, doxology, or theology and practice, the two together. And we as Christians should have that too in a spiritual sense. The word of God should be in our minds and our hearts and in our hands. What we believe should translate to what we do. But what they were doing was they were making their phylacteries, these little boxes, bigger than they should have been. They had to be bigger. They, they were kind of like tailoring them to look even bigger than the ordinary ones. And then they had these fringes, which were kind of like tassels. Like, you've seen a prayer robe before? Or a prayer shawl? And they have tassels on the end, and they were making the tassels longer. So they were editing or kind of like making concept garments to draw attention to themselves, to make themselves look like they had an edge over everybody else. We're more spiritual than these Pharisees. We're more spiritual than these Sadducees because our phylacteries are broad. Our fringes are long. We pray the longest, most doctrinally pure prayers. But why were they doing it? They were doing it for show. They were doing it to be seen as super spiritual, accessorizing accessorizing what they wore to gain an edge so that people would go, ooh, aren't they spiritual? Now, in the Old Testament, in the Old Testament, there was a sense in which the priests, those serving in the temple, were spiritual. They were more spiritual than the hoi polloi. They had been chosen by God to serve in the temple. So there was that sort of division between those who were serving the Levites and those who were not. They were seen as super spiritual. In fact, when scribes used to walk down the street, you had to rise, you had to stand up as they walked past. There was that honor that, that took place. And sometimes I think because we think, well, yes, that was a different time. Jesus lived in a time where they had the temple, they had all these robes, all of these traditions they had to hold by. You know, that's consigned to the bin of history. It doesn't happen anymore. Or maybe it does happen, but it happens in those very 
traditional high Anglican churches and Catholic churches with the bells and the smells, where they robe up and, you know, I mean, have you ever been to a very high church service before? Anybody? It's interesting, isn't it? It's different. It's very different. And I remember I used to work in a sort of a quite high church and um, Becca and I were invited along to a service and there was so much standing up and sitting down and looking this way and looking that. We didn't know what we were doing. I think we... I think we sort of did heresy at one point because we looked the wrong way when the cross was coming in or something like that, I don't know. But either way, it was difficult to know what was going on. And I think because many of us here are raised in a different tradition, we're we're raised evangelical or charismatic or free church, we think that those things don't happen in our church. There's no robing up. We don't don't go in for all of that pretense, all of that um, show. You know, that doesn't happen here because we're down to earth. Well, I want to say no, we're not. I want to say we have traditions too. They're just not as stated and obvious always as the traditional denominational churches. We've got our traditions. There's actually a Twitter account and an Instagram account called Preachers and Sneakers. How many of you heard of Preachers and Sneakers before? Now, Preachers and Sneakers went viral because you know what they were doing? They were taking pictures of popular kind of charismatic teachers. They were taking pictures of them and then they were actually going and finding out what they were wearing and then they were pulling it up and showing how much their clothing cost. And it went off the Richter scale viral because these guys are wearing like flipping Armani, Versace, you name it, any brand like shoes, always over 500 quid for a pair of shoes in these big, big churches, you know, Elevation, T.D. Jakes, all these guys, everything is crazy expensive. And so, got a lot of attention. But it, it goes to show, doesn't it? We may not have phylacteries. We may not have tassels on a prayer garment. We may not wear mitres out in the free church. But we wear Gucci. We wear Armani. We wear Versace. Anything to get that edge. Anything to show, I'm more spiritual than you. I've got an edge on you. You need to honor me. Look at the car I drive. Look at the car I drive. Look, look at the way I live. Look at the blazer I wear. You see how I'm more spiritual? You see now? You, you need to treat me differently. False teachers always do that. They always have to point to something external. There's always got to be something that they have that gets the edge over the others, over the hoi polloi. It's an unhealthy desire to get noticed, Right? They need to be noticed. They need to be seen. No good work can go unmentioned. This is another sign of unhealthy spirituality. It's a big kind of thing these days, isn't it, where uh, Instagrammers will will be like, hey, look, I found this homeless person and I gave them a free meal and now I'm going to just take a selfie. I'm going to upload it. You know that kind of culture? That's what I'm talking about. It's the desire to get noticed. It's the desire to be seen Uh, as more spiritual. And so this is what Jesus is warning against. He's like, listen, if teachers are doing this, it ain't a good sign. Okay, it doesn't necessarily always mean that person's a false teacher, but it's a big red flag. It's a big red flag because in the New Testament, how many of you understand I'm not more spiritual than you? I'm not more spiritual than you. You've got the same Holy Spirit that I've got. Okay, there'll be some of you that are further along the path than me in terms of your walk in holiness. There will be some of you that have way more experience than I do in 
the things of the Holy Spirit, even in teaching, okay? It, the, there is no difference between a New Testament pastor and his flock. We all have the same Holy Spirit. And so it's not right for a pastor to posture like he's more spiritual than you. That's actually a big red flag according to Christ. J.C. Ryle said this. I love this quote. Listen to this. Whatever we do in religion, let us never wear a cloak. Let us be real, honest, thorough, and sincere in our Christianity. We cannot deceive an all-seeing God. We cannot deceive. So this, everything is for show. Think of it like a veneer. You know a veneer on wood to make sort of like standard MDF just look posh, look really nice. That's what we're talking about. False spirituality does that. It wears a veneer. It masks up. It pretends to be something that it's not. It's hypocritical. You can't hide it forever. And I want you to allow yourself to be touched on this as well. Is there a temptation in your life sometimes to show a certain image, portray a certain spirituality that you know maybe isn't actually there, but you allow people to think you are that way? I remember there's a story of a, a friend of mine who visited a church when he was speaking, and he noticed when he entered into the church, there was a guy buzzing around serving behind the coffee bar, and people kept coming up to him and saying, calling him pastor. Pastor this, pastor that, pastor the other. And my friend thought, but he's not the pastor. He's not the pastor, but he's allowing people to call him pastor. He's not correcting them. And so he challenged him on it. He went up to him and said, but, but, I see they call you pastor, but you aren't a pastor here, are you? No, 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 but yeah, it's too much trouble to explain that I'm not the pastor. And it's that kind of thing. It's, it's that kind of thing of being, I'm putting across this image and I'm not going to correct you. I'm going to let you think I'm something that I'm actually not. Okay? I'm going to allow you to think that. It's fakery. Number two, another sign of false spirituality, there's a desperate need to be honored. There's a need to be honored. These scribes, they wanted the greetings in the marketplace. They actually wanted the first seats in the synagogues. So how do you tell this is something for us to think about. How can we tell if we're someone that needs to be honored? How, do, how can I tell that I need to be honored? Because often we're flying blind on a lot of these things because we can't always see ourselves as we actually are, can we? We need the help of the Holy Spirit. Well, I would say this. How can you tell if you're someone that needs to be honored? I would ask this question. How do you react when you're not honored? How do you react when you're treated badly? Or even just overlooked? What's your go-to reaction? Does it ruin your day? Do you need to take 20 minutes to just have a good old chin wag about that individual that just mistreated you? Just knock him down a few pegs. How do you react when you're badly treated? I remember another situation where gone along to a conference and there was a friend of mine who expected to have seats reserved at that particular event when we got there there was no seat reserved on the front row instead they were left to sit where they wanted and this went down like a ton of bricks we ended up not going back to that conference again and in fact those friendships pretty much died and the reason was that there wasn't honor given there wasn't a seat saved as simple as that and now, 
I actually think it's important on one hand to know that you're valuable, to know that you should be being treated rightly. And if somebody is abusing you, somebody's treating you as less than, then it's right to kick up about that. I'm not talking about that, though. What I'm talking about is just being overlooked. That being not treated as highly as you think you should be. How does that, how does that land with you? How do you react? For the scribes, it was if they came into the synagogue and there wasn't a seat reserved, there'd be a fuss. You know, if they came into the marketplace, they wanted to be the center of attention. That's the kind of thing we're talking about here. A false teacher needs to be honored. They need to have some level of deflected glory from what they do. Now, what they do can be very good. What they do can be absolutely fine, but they have to glean something from it. What they do is they create a celebrity culture, a celebrity culture, and they bring that within the church. They enjoy being the center of attention, and they can't handle being criticized. That's another sign. There's another sign that you might have a problem in your spirituality with the need to be honored is, can you cope when people give you honest feedback that maybe isn't positive? You know, is there someone in your life who can come to you and say, do you know, I think the way that you spoke to that person wasn't actually very loving? Can you handle it? Or do you need to fight them? Because that's another clear sign, I think. If, you're, if no one's allowed to ever say anything to you, to criticize or to challenge, that's probably the better word. Not criticize, but challenge. If nobody can ever disagree with you without you kicking them out or unfriending you in some way, shape, or form, it's a sign you might have a problem with this. False teachers need to be honored. And what that means is they elevate themselves above everybody. They're not accountable to anybody. They won't allow people who have strong voices into their sphere of influence. They need yes men everywhere who will never challenge. A false teacher will always be unaccountable. Always be unaccountable. You'll never find a false teacher running towards an accountability structure that could actually hold them accountable because there's a need to be honored. There's a need to be at the center of things. The third thing that Jesus warns about in false spirituality is, of course, financial greed. Financial greed. Now, there's a story about the scribes, actually, in ancient Roman history. Um, Josephus, how many of you have heard of him? He was a Jewish guy, but was a Roman historian, wrote about the fall of Jerusalem in AD 70. And he also writes about this woman called Fulvia. It was a, a real story. And this woman, Fulvia, lived in Rome. And what happened to her was that this guy, posing as a scribe, had arrived at her door one day and had been telling her about the work going on in Jerusalem that he was part of. He was raising money to help um, rebuild and, 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 and do things for the temple. And all great things, many wonderful things this guy was purportedly doing. Uh, he just needed some money. And he came garbed up with all the robes and everything. And Fulvia gave him a large sum of money, which he then embezzled. Uh, he took it for himself and off he went. And this had all of Rome in an uproar. Uh, everybody from Emperor Tiberius to people on the streets were outraged. And so this is the kind of thing I'm talking about. Every false teacher will have a problem with financial greed. And this is something that we, if we're, we're engaging in a false kind of veneer spirituality, there'll be a problem with financial greed, okay? Now the scribes, just to give a bit of context, the scribes weren't naturally rich. They weren't the aristocracy. 
Do you remember we talked a few weeks ago about the Sadducees? If you were here, we talked about the Sadducees. Now, the Sadducees were aristocrats. They were wealthy from the start, okay? The, the scribes were not. These guys were scholars. They were scholars. They were like kind of post-grad students. And they got their money from donors. They got their money from worshippers who would give them gifts. And so they lived a bit like a modern-day pastor does from the gifts and offering of worshippers. And some abused that position. Some abused that position in order to get more trust from their donors to get more money from them. And what maybe they said the money was going to go towards, actually it didn't go towards. They were dishonest with their finances. Jesus puts it very starkly. He says, you devour widows' houses. What does that mean? It doesn't mean they're literally chewing on bricks and mortar, but it means they're destroying the finances and the inheritances of defenseless widows, people who had no security. False teachers are devouring their money. Now, I want to say this. Giving financially is a healthy practice, as we'll see from the story of the widow. But we're to give, according to 2 Corinthians 8, we're to give according to whatever we decide in our hearts, okay? Not under compulsion. Now, a false teacher, like these false scribes, what they'll do is they'll apply pressure. There's always pressure to give more and more and more. There's always some wonderful project that they're involved in that, that needs your giving. And if you give, then you'll be blessed too. There's always the promise of more. And they never shut up about money because there's that greed burning away in their hearts. They can't stop. Greed is also blind. Greed is blind. And that's why I say we have to ask Holy Spirit to help us on this issue. Greedy people don't know they're greedy. They don't know they're greedy. Have you ever met an extremely rich person? Or somebody that you would say maybe had a problem with greed? It's not something that they're aware of. It's not something they're aware of. And I've watched this happen. I've watched rich televangelists, American televangelists, defend having multiple private jets. I need them. I've got to fly around the world to preach the gospel. Can't you travel with everybody else in a commercial flow? I can't do that. There's demons in there. What? Uh, do you definitely need this, this, this multi-billion pound mansion with your own private runway? I definitely need that. Oh, that's funny because your congregation is made up of poor people who live in the projects. Uh, but you don't live like them. No, I don't live like them. Why don't you live like them? I need to give them something to aim at. You know, when they look at me, they look, they look at me rolling into church in my Bentley, they say, what, look at what I can achieve. That's what they say. They double down. Greed is blind. No pastor needs their own private runway. No pastor needs multiple private jets. No pastor needs a multi-billion pound mansion. I don't care what you tell me. I don't care what they say. Greed is blind. Isn't it interesting that none of the apostles of Jesus Christ left the world with a multi-billion pound business to hand off to the next level of apostles? <laughs> none of them left with some pyramid scheme that everybody needs to invest in. None of them left with great financial wealth. In fact, Many of them were, were killed and martyred having nothing worldly left over. They, they died poor, many of them. But isn't it interesting that these modern prosperity gospel preachers, they would look at that and say that they missed out. They would look at the death of the apostles and say they just didn't believe for enough. They just didn't have enough faith. You know, if they'd really believed and stood on the promises of God, they, they would have been wealthy. 
Of course, they would never say that, but that's the natural flow of what their theology says. And so there's a, there's a financial greed in a false teacher, and there's a financial greed in a false spirituality. Let's move on now to the positive. Three signs of true spirituality from the example of the widow. Number one, humility. This widow was poor. She wasn't dressed in any kind of eye-catching garb. We can imagine that she would have drawn no attention to herself at all. Probably nobody would have noticed as she ambled up to the offering boxes. True spirituality doesn't need to get noticed. It doesn't need to be seen. It's often humble. And this is often the way, isn't it, with true spirituality. People who have a true, deep relationship with Christ are not flashy people often, are they? If you've ever met mini- uh, sorry, missionaries, I've met missionaries before who have done incredible things for God out in the far-flung corners of the world, and to look at them, they're nothing. They, they don't present themselves as being better than. They just look like ordinary people. And a true spirituality doesn't put forward some veneer in order to get you to honor them or to get you to notice them. It's, it's humble. True teachers don't attempt to draw attention to themselves through what they wear or through their possessions. So often, true teachers, true gospel ministers are not going to be those with a blue tick on social media. They're not going to be those always who are on TBN or God TV. I'm not saying every teacher that's on there is false. But a true spirituality is humble. It doesn't need to be noticed. Secondly, oh, actually, I'm just going to finish off and mention this as well. True teachers and true Christians don't draw attention to themselves through their good works either. Matthew 6, verses 3 and 4 says, When you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Isn't that wonderful? When you do something good, listen, don't let your left hand know what your right's doing. Don't put it on social media. Sometimes even just keep it to yourself. Because then God sees it and you get that reward. Because if you put it out there for everyone to see and hear about, guess what Jesus says? You've received your reward. You've had it. There's nothing left for God to give you because you decided to take it from men. Now, true spirituality, that widow didn't mind that maybe nobody saw her doing what she did. She put those two pennies in. She never said, let me just get on Snapchat. I've just given all of my offerings to the temple. I've got nothing left to give, and it's wonderful, isn't it? Just look at me. None of that. She just moves away. But listen, Jesus saw her. Jesus saw her. And I want to encourage you. Maybe you've done great works. Do not be ashamed of that, but maybe only Christ saw Let it stay that way. Let Jesus reward you. Let God reward you for those good works. He doesn't miss anything. Secondly, there's there's no desire for glory. There's no need to be honored. She quietly placed her offering in the box and walked away. Matthew 6, 1 says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. 
for then you'll have no reward in heaven. A true spirituality doesn't need honor. It doesn't need to be recognized. It doesn't need to be celebrated. It's great to be celebrated every now and again. It's great to have people who will cheer you on and encourage you. But true Christianity and true teachers don't need to create a celebrity culture environment around themselves. Philippians 2.3 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others as more significant than yourselves. Count others as more significant. I think that's such a powerful word. When I look at others, I can say, that person, wow. If I could be like that person in Christ, I would be happy. I think that's a test. Is like, do we count others as actually better than ourselves? That's a really, that's a really sure key that we're walking in, in true spirituality, esteeming others as better than ourselves. And finally, they give all they have to God. They give all the glory to God. They don't try and hold back glory for themselves or glean some of the glory from even good things like ministry for themselves, but they give all to God. Jesus saw what this widow did. She gave not just a lot for her, but she gave all that she had to the work of God. True spirituality, and I'm not just talking about money here, I'm talking about everything, but they give... True Christians give all they have to God, everything. It's sacrificial. James Edwards said, For Jesus, the value of a gift isn't the amount given, but the cost to the giver. The cost to the giver. That's what Jesus looks at and says, Wow, that's incredible. Now, whether that's your, your, your offerings or your tithes or whatever, whether it's that, because Jesus looks at that and he's looking at that here, or whether we're talking about other things, whether it's your worship, whether it's in those moments where worship costs something, where the thing that you've been praying for never actually happened, it never materialized. The person you were praying for, for healing, died. It's in those moments where you are able to turn your heart towards God, honor him as Lord, give him thanks and praise, it's that worship that Jesus looks at and says, that's, that's the thing. That's it right there. Wow. It's worship that costs us. It's giving that costs us. That's what counts. Interestingly, Jesus doesn't stop the widow, does he, from giving the offering. He doesn't go up to her and say, you're not wealthy enough to do this. Please go back and keep the two mites for yourself. He allows her to give. You see, it's a blessing to give. It's a blessing to give. Christ honors it. I think we have to have the attitude as well of this widow in our worship and in our giving. To look at it again and say, am I giving well within my means? Does my giving in terms of however that looks, does, does it actually touch me at all? Does it actually cost me anything? Maybe you are a, a somebody who gives a large amount of your time a large amount of your finances, but where's that coming from? What's the heart behind it? That's what we're asked to do. I like what David said in 2 Samuel 24. And he goes up to purchase the field of Aruna. And he, Aruna says to David, let my lord the king take and offer up what seems good to him. Here are the oxen and the burnt offering um, and the threshing sledges and the yokes of oxen for the wood. All this, O king, Arana gives to the king 
And Aranua said to the king, May the Lord your God accept you. But the king said to Aranua, No, but I will buy it from you for a price. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. I think that's the attitude we're to have. To not offer something to God that, that, that didn't cost us anything. But to, to do it in a way that actually costs. Whether that's giving him praise, sacrificing our time to him, um, in terms of our offerings, all these things we look at and say, Lord, is this actually going to touch me? Is this actually going to cost me? You know, to get up at 6 a.m. I don't want to do it, but, you know, I need to give him something that's actually cost me. Because ultimately, who's the greater picture of, the, of this poor widow? It's Christ. Who else has truly given all of himself for us? Nobody else but Jesus. Nobody else but Christ came into this world, gave his body as we've just celebrated at the Lord's Supper, broke his body for you, shed his blood for you, gave his life so that you could be free. If Christ gave us everything, then how can we hold back something from him? How can we hold back? How can we live in a way that doesn't honor him and doesn't cost us anything? I finish with this quote from a man called Ludwig van Zinzendorf. It's a great name, and it's an even better quote. These wounds were meant to purchase me. These drops of blood were shed to obtain me. I am not my own today. I belong to another. I have been brought with a price, and I will live every moment of this day so that the great purchaser of my soul will receive the full reward of his suffering. I want to open up some time for ministry. I, I just want to offer an opportunity for people to respond and we'll pray before Eddie comes and leads us in a final song. But I think now is a great time to look at the example of the widow in her giving of everything. And I think it's a great time for us to just have a little inventory of our lives and say, Lord, are there things I'm holding back from you? Are there areas of my life where I know I'm not ready to give that? Are there things in my life, maybe lifestyle choices or, or maybe even just our time where we're like being a bit overly precious with it and not wanting to give the Lord more of who we are? Maybe now's the time to say, Lord, yeah. Yeah, I can relate to that. That's me. Maybe now's a time to just bring that before him. And say, Lord, I want to be more like that widow. She didn't need to get noticed. She gave all that she had and you saw. I think for some of you as well, perhaps this is a moment for healing. Maybe you've been doing a lot of difficult things. A lot of good things, but things that have remained hidden. Things that go unnoticed, things that go overlooked. Things that are going overlooked. And I want to encourage you right now, maybe you're hurting, maybe you feel like others have passed you by and they haven't seen the good that you've tried to do. And I just want to encourage you, if we can learn one thing from the widow, it's that Jesus saw her. And if Jesus saw her, it doesn't matter who overlooked her. I want to say this, Jesus sees you. Jesus sees the things that you do in secret and he will reward you for those things. Even if you go from this world without anybody ever thanking you.
applauding you, giving you what you really truly deserve. Christ sees. Christ sees and he hasn't missed it. So if you feel any of those things relate to you, um, you don't need to come out, but why don't you just, just stand right now and, and we'll just pray together. put our hands out in front of us and, and we'll pray Lord I thank you for these people here that, that are saying today that they want to be more like the widow in whatever area they, they want to give more of themselves they, they want to offer everything that they have and say Jesus I'm putting it all on the plate today and even if nobody else sees I know you see and that's enough for me we pray, Lord God, that you would strengthen them by your Holy Spirit right now, that you would fill them afresh, Lord, that you would give them the resolve to do great things for you, to do mighty works for you, things that cost them, things that put them in the way of potential harm, but things that you will see, things that you will remember, things that you will use, great and mighty things for the name of Christ. Lord, I pray for these people that are stood. I pray, Lord, would you help them to be sold out for you today? To give over those things that are maybe being held back right now. Lord, also to bring healing maybe where there are hurts from being overlooked, underappreciated. Father, may you heal us in our hearts as well. We pray in the mighty name of our Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen.